Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on CagesidePress.com. I'm Daniel Kobe Vreeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Well, the UFC is back in Vegas for UFC Vegas 48. That is headlined by Jamal Hill versus Johnny Walker. We'll be breaking down that fight as well as two other of our favorite fights on the main card. It's part of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays where we'll also give you an underdog and a parlay that we think will make your wallet fat. Plus, I'll be talking to two of the fighters on the card. First, I'll be talking to Parker Porter. And a little bit later on in the show, I'll be talking to David Onama. So stay tuned for all that great content. But before you do, I do have to let you know that this episode of the Top Turtle MMA podcast is brought to you by Better Than Vegas. Better Than Vegas is the home for the avid sports better, providing insights, analysis, and free betting picks. It's like YouTube for sports betting. Head on over to betterthan.vegas where you can browse, search, and follow handicappers and sports personalities as they give you their thoughts on upcoming sports contests in every sport imaginable. In fact, if you head on over there, you can check out my bonus pick of the week. It's already up, but you can only catch it on the Top Turtle MMA page at betterthan.vegas. Better Than Vegas brings you this episode of the Top Turtle MMA podcast, and it starts right now. The hosts are ready. The fighters are ready. Listeners, make some noise if you are ready for Top Turtle MMA with Shockwave and Gumby. All right, and joining me today is Parker Porter, who fights Alan Bordeaux at UFC Vegas 48. That fight is on February 19th. So, Parker, I wanted to start by talking about that fight, because you're on a two-fight winning streak at the moment. You're looking better than ever, and they booked you against a guy who's 0-2 in the UFC, and, and obviously it seems like a little bit of weird matchmaking at first. What were your thoughts when they first came to you with that matchup? Uh, you know, it definitely uh, it surprised me a little bit, but... Uh, you know, I'm I'm here to fight. I'm here to fight whoever they put in front of me, and if that's who they want to see me go up against next, maybe they're looking for something a little bit more out of me. Uh, you know, regardless, I'm I'm happy to come, and uh, I'm I'm planning on I'm bringing a, a big fight to the to uh to the cage on on the 19th, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna get my first finish. So so you mentioned in there that you feel like they're they're expecting a little bit more out of you or want to see a little bit more out of you and then right immediately after you mentioned to finish do you, do you feel like that's it or are they just looking to see you know that everybody likes big heavyweights go boom right but like at the same time like you're putting on complete performances here yeah i feel like that too but you know like fans i guess you know love knockouts you know and and uh or finishes at least uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm looking to, uh, maybe that's my own personal thing and I just want to get that on a uh, notch in my own belt. But, um, you know, I, I don't really know what the rhyme or reason behind it is. Um, I just, they, they send them my way and I say, yeah, you're nay. And I haven't said no yet. So, <laughs> well, I love that mentality. Now uh, we talked a little bit about your improvements there for a second. You know, you, you've seemed like you're getting better and better in every fight before the Chase Sherman fight. We talked about your cardio improvements and your conditioning improvements and all the work that you had put into that, and it clearly showed. How do you keep getting better at this stage of your career? Because you're, we're talking about a guy with over a decade in at 36 years old still getting better. I mean, there's there's so many things I, that I still feel like I have yet to learn, and now that I have so much more free time, so to speak, not really like that I... I'm just sitting around doing nothing all day, but I can focus more on my training. I can focus more time and energy into those things. I don't have to work, you know, three jobs to to pay all the bills now. 
um, you know, I, I'm able to really genuinely start honing my craft. Um, and it's just lots of repetitions, looking at things differently, um, you know, kind of brainstorming sessions with my coaches and, and just really feeling things out and, and keeping what works and, and getting rid of what doesn't. So, you know, I, I still feel like I have uh, a lot of potential to improve as it is. Um, and I'm, I'm looking to make sure that I realize my full potential before I, I fully hang up my gloves. And, and so I wanted to talk to you about, you know, like what you, you just said there, which is that you feel like you have a lot still to improve. And, and we're seeing, like like I said, these complete performances against Chase Sherman where you're, you're outworking a guy, you're outstriking a guy, you're, you're mixing things in. What do you feel like is the, the bigger areas where you feel like you still have room to gain? Um, you know, like for same for everybody, really, you know, there's, there's footwork, there's defense, there's offense, um, you know, tightening up your striking game, improving your strength and your conditioning, uh, tightening up your, your submission game, your wrestling game, your takedown, uh, offense, your takedown defense. There's, there's always something that you could do a little bit better or, or some new tool that you can add to the toolbox and, and be able to utilize. And it's not just, uh, it's not just knowing how to do the technique in a training type setting, but but really kind of like hardwiring that stuff in there to the point where you can utilize it at, uh, without having to think about it. You know, it's kind of hardwiring everything in into place and, and making sure that you can problem solve anything that comes along. And, and so that that's an interesting take. And I love the, the improvement mentality there. Now, you also mentioned in there brainstorming sessions with your coach and and i'm just curious on what that looks like for parker porter does that involve you know film sessions does that involve just sitting and talking to him about the concepts of mma what what does a brainstorming session look like for you it looks a lot like a training session just a little bit more slowed down and a lot more technical and we you know it's uh more like longer rest periods while we talk about things and kind of feel things out or, or just like hey you know like i'll be hitting pads with my my striking coach ed and, uh, you know, well, something will just feel natural. Something will feel right, and I'll try it, and it'll be a little bit different than what he wanted me to. But, you know, he'll be like, all right, I like that, but try it from this angle or, or maybe change your, your balance this way or your step that way. And then we kind of just feed off of each other. It's, it's almost, you know, it's like a think tape kind of session. And it's the same kind of thing with my wrestling where it's like I'm working on um, getting those, those transitions going with my, my coach Kia Glompor. He, uh, you know, we're we're in there, we're, we're cutting angles, he's showing me this, and then we transition to the next step and to the next step after that, and then back out and then re-back, you know, right back in. Um, and so it really doesn't look any different from a, a training session. It's just a little bit slower pace and a, a little bit more talking. And, and obviously that's a, a development from, like you said, having more time in the gym. You're, you're able to slow things down. You don't have to go off to, like you said, three jobs or something to support yourself. How long has that been a part of, of, of your training? How, how long have you just been able to focus in on MMA? Are we talking, you know, is this since the Dawkins fight, after the Parisian fight, did it happen? When when did you start being able to make MMA it? Um, It was really more after the Parisian fight where I was like, all right, you know, the, the, the Dawkins fight was my debut. I got my first contract, but to me, I didn't feel like I had really arrived until I got a W and then after the Parisian fight with my, my first win, I was like, all right, I can, you know, safely kind of like step away from some of these other things and, and really put more, um, more, uh, focus and, and time and energy into, into my training and getting my own gym going and stuff like that. Um, so I've really just been able to kind of like 
take that leap of faith um, and and just go all in on it finally. Wow, and it's obviously paying off because, like we said, we're seeing improvements every time out. Now, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the Bedo fight because, you know, like we said at the beginning, it is a weird matchup. But in addition to that, he's a guy who who kind of mimics some of your your previous opponents, guys like you know Chase Sherman, who prefer to stand and box it out. He he likes to kickbox. He he likes that kind of fight. Do you envision having that kind of fight with him, or, or are we going to see a little bit more of that that Parker Porter jiu-jitsu and Parker Porter wrestling that you've mentioned a couple of times? Well, you never know what you're going to see, man. I really like, I, you know, the the game plan for for both Parisian and for Sherman was to more try to get the um, the the fight to the ground. But then once I got comfortable on the feet and felt like I was doing better uh, than they were with my with my striking, I just abandoned trying to force something that I didn't feel was really there, um, and uh, and just went with what worked. So, you know, that's the like we were talking about with the. Um, um, you know, kind of those think tanks and those abilities to kind of problem solve is really what I'm I'm trying to develop now is, is like, all right, have my game plan, but if something doesn't go according to plan, be able to adapt and, you know, quickly and overcome with minimal damage and, and really just shift the tides in my favor. I like that a lot. Now, I'm I'm curious because, you know, you, you've been working with these coaches for, for quite a while. How much of this is the trust that your coaches have in you and how much of it is just, you know, naturally the way they coach that you're able to go in with like sort of a nebulous game plan, sort of a game plan where you're willing to adapt everything and have these times where, you know, you're changing what you're doing, not necessarily on the fly, but you're you're really open to changing some of the things that you've done in the past that have worked. Yeah, I I would say it's a it's a hundred percent both ways. You know, like it uh it's it's a hundred percent my my faith in them to see what I don't see from outside the cage, and a hundred percent their faith in me to, you know, pull the trigger when I need to uh, inside the cage and 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 make the uh, the intelligent move based off of what I directly saw that they might not have saw. Um, so yeah, I I think it's really just all of us having the the goal of winning together as a team even though I'm the only one in the cage it's it's my whole team we're all there as a unit we're we're working together for the same goal I love that now you know I usually like to ask fighters before I let them go for a prediction but you know you said well, th- this whole conversation is about keeping it late and figuring out what you're doing and and you know adapting to the situation but I guess instead of giving you a prediction or asking you for a prediction here, I'm just going to say, do you feel like this is the finish? This is the one you're going to get? Yeah, I, I think you're going to see my first finish. Uh, I don't think this fight's going the distance. I love that. Now, I wanted to ask you one more question, too, because this is kind of a weird situation. I realized when I was looking over your record again, you actually have made your debut in now we're going to be up to four fights in the UFC, all since the UFC has moved almost exclusively to the apex. You haven't gotten on a pay-per-view card that has allowed you to fight in front of, you know, big live crowds, yeah. maybe some of those smaller live crowds. I'm curious, what is that like? You know, like everybody talks about having the big crowd feel of finally being in the UFC, but most of the crowds you had in, in you know, your Bellator fights or in CES or like, you know, they were bigger there, we're bigger right? bigger than what I've been fighting, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they've been, they've been small. Um, you know, it's definitely it's definitely a nice way to kind of get your feet wet, so to speak in the UFC, whereas you're not getting overwhelmed by so many, you know, such a big production, so many people. And, uh, you know, like I've, I've fought in Mohegan sun arena. It's got a good size arena. It's not the same as, as fighting at like 
Mandalay Bay or MGM, MGM or anything like that. But, um, you know, the, the crowd is definitely something I feed off of. Um, but with the, with the no crowd, it's like, you can hear your corners crystal clear. You, you can see things, you can, you can feel everything going on and you can, you can hear your opponent breathing from across the cage. So, um, it's kind of, it was kind of a nice way to kind of, to step into there and really get more comfortable and get, you know, familiar with everything and, and be like, all right, you know, I, I can be more myself now than uh, as opposed to being like, oh, I don't know how I'm supposed to compose myself with all this stuff going on and all these cameras and everything pointed at me. Um, you know, I feel a little more relaxed because of it, but I am definitely itching to uh, get in front of a big arena and especially to be able to get my, my wife and family there. Absolutely, and we're thinking that this finish is probably going to be the one that does that. So, once again, fans, this was Parker Porter, who fights Alan Baudot at UFC Vegas 48. That fight on February 19th. Parker, thanks so much for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. My pleasure. Well, we hope you enjoyed that interview with Parker Porter. I, once again, am Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined now by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, Let's start here. Obviously, last weekend's pay-per-view gave us a lot of storylines, but the one I'm the most interested in is we just saw a man take four or five consecutive punches in the head from Derek Lewis and not only live to tell the tale, but then finish the fight himself, move eight spots up in the rankings. What do you think of the fact that right now the number three heavyweight in the UFC is Tai Tuivasa? Uh, I'm so here for it. I'm so excited. I think heavyweight has long needed some fresh faces and new blood at the top. DC, you know, more or less recently retiring. Stipe, completely one foot out the game. Naganu now the champion. Cyril Gain, not far behind him. Uh, and then Taiju Ivasa, number three. This is awesome. This is so cool that we now really have a whole new top of the division and my man Curtis Blades is still there taking fools down. Do I think someone like Curtis Blades or Tai Tuivasa could be champ someday? I don't know. I'd bet my life savings on it. I mean, I think Tuivasa always has a puncher's chance, right? And we saw he can eat a shot. I don't think he's as well-rounded as, let's say, Francis Naganu is. I still like Ciro Gain as a technical striker more than I like Tai Tuivasa. But Tai Tuivasa is just good fun. He's like Mark Hunt version 2.0, and he's perfect for the social media age because that whole shoey gimmick just makes him very lovable. What yeah, about you? Yeah, I, I agree entirely. Like, I think we even said it on the show last week. We, we both picked Derek Lewis to win. We both thought Derek Lewis would win, and we both also said it'd be really great if Tai Tuivasa won because it would just give us, you know, different matchups. I, I want to see Tai Tuivasa versus Surreal Gain. I want to see him against Francis Ngannou or John Jones or stuff like that. You know, and I've, I've already seen Lewis against two of those three guys. So um, love the fact that it's a fresh face. He is really marketable. It's another name that they can pump out from, you know, the, the New Zealand, Australia region because, you know, they've got a couple of stars from there, but it never hurts to have a couple more from that side of the world. So, um, lots of good stuff. Uh, I'm just looking forward to whatever they do with the title next, because I, I mean, at this point we have no clue, right? Like it's probably going to be an interim, even if Francis signs back, cause he's going to be out for 10 weeks. There's a real possibility that Tai Tuivasa is one of the two names in that fight. That's, and you think it would be Steve Miocic on the other half of that, or well, who would I, be the and, other half? And I think that depends, right? Like, cause like you said, it seems like he's got a foot out the door. I, I just saw a headline 
that I scrolled past. I didn't even get a chance to click it because I was in a hurry that said something about him being announced as a full-time firefighter now. Like he, he may have moved on to the full side of things instead of part-time or whatever he was before. So like, and, and again, I, I just saw a headline. I didn't get a chance to read the article, but the bottom line is, is he might be out the door too. So could we be looking at, fuck, we could be looking at John Jones, Ty Tuivasa, which is just such like a comical, wow. it's such like a comical matchup you would have accidentally made on a video game like five years ago, right? Or three years ago, rather. Yeah. Well, it's actually, it's a very interesting scenario that you bring up, Gumby. If we could play fantasy matchmaker here for a second, let's just say Stipe is a full-time firefighter now and out the game, because I, I that wouldn't surprise me. That's kind of the way I've really thought of him since the Naganu loss. Zero game just lost. So I don't think he deserves an interim title fight because should he win it, I don't necessarily need to see that rematch against Naganu. I think Gain is still very – I don't think his fight IQ is where it should be yet as a champion. I think he needs some more maturity. He's only had 11 professional fights, for crying out loud. So I don't think he deserves an interim title fight right away. It's better for his development not to be in the title picture for about a year. And then – Tai Tuivas to just be Derek Lewis. So what you're basically looking at would be Curtis Blades, should he beat Chris Dawkins next month, or Alexander Volkov, should he beat Tom Aspinall next month? Or Tom, As- really... or Tom Aspinall? Or Tom Aspinall. Ooh, yeah, Tom, Tom Aspinall, Tai Tuivasa for a weird 25-year-old interim type. Right? I think Tom Aspinall's a little over that. He might be like 28 or 29 or maybe even just barely cracking 30. But, I mean, Tai Tuivasa's like one of the youngest dudes in the division. We're going to see a 20-somethings heavyweight title fight. That, that'd be crazy. And I, I would, again, so many fun matchups. Yeah, this is the first time I feel like we can actually talk about, like, fighters from rank ranked 5 through 10 where there are exciting matchups at heavyweight. This division has just not been uh, deep, plentiful, robust, whatever word you want to search for. It's an exciting time in the UFC heavyweight division right now. I'll tell you what else is an exciting time, though, Gumby. We have more fights this weekend, which we always love, so we get to break out our favorite segment on the show. It's Fights, Dogs, Parlays for UFC Vegas 48. But Gumby, before we get into that and give our fans a couple of fights we like, a couple of dogs they might want to bet on, a couple of parlays to play, one may wonder if anyone sponsors this edition of Fights, Dogs, and Parlays. Absolutely. Fights, Dogs, and Parlays is brought to you by Double Nickels Sports Betting. Check out Nichols over on Instagram at 55DoubleNickels55 because my guy is going to send you five picks each and every morning from the worlds of NBA, NHL, MLB, and of course MMA. And I'm not lying when I'm saying he's hitting five almost every single day. And if not, he's going to be hitting four of them for you anyway. Unlike all of those other guys who are trying to get you to follow their picks, he's given out more than just that. He hits you with tips and insights that put him at the front of the game each and every week. Big 11-game winning streak recently. You're going to want to check that out. Now, the best part of all of it, his prices never exceed 10 bucks a day. That's right, never exceed 10 bucks a day, and you can get him as low as 4 bucks a day. There's no reason not to give him a try. Check him out. Mention our podcast when you sign up, and he's going to give you a nice little discount on top of that. Don't delay. That's at 55DoubleNickels55 on Instagram. Double Nickels Sports Betting. So... We have a pretty interesting main event here um, at 205, and while the dog is a two-to-one dog and the favorite is about a two-to-one favorite, and I'm, I'm of course, talking about the fact that Jamal Hill is a minus 250 and Johnny Walker is a plus 200, I think it's really important to talk about where these fighters are coming from, as we are known to do coming into this. 
Jamal Hill, while a two-to-one favorite, is um, one and one in his last two. He lost to Paul Craig via TKO last year in June, but then came back with a huge KO over Jimmy Crute. Johnny Walker, on the other hand, uh, and also worth noting, Jamal Hill, undefeated before that Paul Craig loss, uh, both in his professional career and in the UFC, uh, there was a, uh, a, a no contest. It was originally a TKO uh, for him against uh, Kiltson Abreu, but uh, he tested positive for marijuana. So he's uh, 9-1-1 and is his overall record. But let's face it, it's really 10-1. and Okay, that's another story for another day. Johnny Walker was cruising, thought to be a future champion. Going back to the year 2019, he was coming off uh undefeated in UFC he was 4 and 0 in the UFC in March of 2019 and then he ran into Corey Anderson and he lost via TKO came back and lost to Nikita Krylov via unanimous decision beat Ryan Spann via KO back in September of 2020 and then lost to Tiago Santos via unanimous decision in October of 2021 so dating back the last 3 years now Here's Johnny Walker, once thought of as like the darling prospect of the division. He's one and three in his last four, and now a two to one dog must win. Who you got? I think I'm actually gonna pick Johnny Walker in this fight. It feels wrong. It feels terribly Whoa. wrong. Yeah, yeah, I, and it feels. Let me tell you why it feels wrong. Is because the funniest part of all of that one and three that you mentioned is. The first three fights in that four-fight streak, I don't even think of as Johnny Walker, because that person who fought Tiago Santos was not the same as the guy who fought before. He's changed gyms. He now trains with John Cavanaugh. He fights this ticky-tacky kickboxing style, almost where he's staying away from big blows and does nothing risky, um, and, and really just had trouble pulling the trigger. Now, if, if he fights that way and won't pull the trigger against Jamal Hill, I don't think he'll win. But that being said, if he's just like a little bit more aggressive than he was against Tiago Santos, I think that that type of picking his opponent apart and staying away from big blows, because that's really what Jamal Hill does, right? Is he like lands big shots? I, I actually think that that type of Johnny Walker is probably safer to fight Jamal Hill. Now, I don't know what fucking Johnny Walker is going to show up. It could be some point fighting Johnny Walker. It could be a Johnny Walker that's throwing you know, rolling thunders constantly in the cage until somebody gets knocked out. But at the bottom line is, is Johnny Walker is such an agent of chaos that at plus 200, I'm always willing to take that side of the Johnny Walker because ultimately like, too, I do think he's better than Jamal Hill. Like the, the Jamal Hill, who's not like, he knocked Jimmy Crude out really quick. I think that fight goes longer. I picked Jimmy Crude. He's got big KO power, but so does Johnny Walker, and Johnny Walker showed he can be extremely technical. So, uh, ultimately, this is a fight where if I'm betting, I'm staying way far away from it. But if you're you're saying, you know, you got 100 bucks, you got to stick it somewhere, I'm sticking it on Johnny Walker. I really like the way you're approaching that because I agree with you. I think Agent of Chaos is the perfect way to describe Johnny Walker. Now, I don't like the ticky-tack, hold-in-reserve Johnny Walker. i rather Johnny Walker go out on his sword, win one, lose one, and probably out of fighting in the next three years if he keeps that up. I get why he needs, he needs to take a more tactical approach. But given what we're staring at for his career, if I'm his agent, I might be in his ear the night before the fight being like, hey, Johnny, we need that old Johnny Walker to come out. We need the Johnny Walker black label tonight. You know <laughs> All right. So let's go to the next fight. Uh, another interesting one. 
Kyle Dawkins, uh, again, a minus 250 favorite. So strong favorite here over Jamie Pickett, a plus 200 dog. So actually those two fights, more or less, on average, you're getting at the same odds. Dawkins is coming off a no contest where he accidentally butted heads with Kevin Holland, so it was declared a no contest. Lost to Phil Hawes before that. Uh, one, he's one and two with one no contest in the UFC. So again, you know, here's a favorite, but not anyone who, you know, you want to bet the life savings on per se. I'd call this somewhat of a must win for him too. And then you look at the dog in the fight, Jamie Pickett at plus 200, he's on a two fight winning streak himself. Uh, but before that had losses to Jordan Wright via TKO and Tafan Nchukui, I am sure I mispronounced that name, but that being said, if you take out Dana White Contender Series, Pickett is 2-2 two and two in the UFC. He won on Contender Series, so if you count Contender Series as a UFC record, he's 3-2 and two in the UFC, and on a two-fight win streak, but the dog here, who you got? So, you're right, he did win his last fight on the Contender Series, but it's worth noting, Jamie Pickett had three shots at Contender Series. He actually would have been 3-4 and four if you count all those fights. And it's part of the reason I'm fading him here. Like, the UFC clearly likes something about his physicality um, and his ability to, like, body people. But in that same sense, like, Kyle Dawkins is excellent at grappling. I think Kyle Dawkins is just going to wear him out in this fight. Kyle Dawkins, a lot of people forget, was beating up uh, Kevin Holland in a lot of ways in that fight uh, before the clash ahead. Stop it. You know, some people even say he should have won that fight by rear naked choke because it was an accidental clash of heads. The referees let it go and it, it got overturned to a no contest, which ultimately is probably the right decision. But uh, look, I, I think Kyle Dawkins is extremely skilled on the ground. I think all he's got to do is get it there once and he's going to handle Jamie Pickett. And, and for what it's worth, I, I think he, it happens pretty quickly in the fight too. All right. So you even like him with a prop to finish via call of the KO? Yeah, I'd probably take him a sub. The the Dawkins brothers, it, well, I guess, you know, Chris is a little bit more of a KO artist than, than Kyle is. But, like, Kyle's jiu-jitsu is really high level. Um, I, I'm always impressed when I see him at the ground. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I'll take Kyle Dawkins here by submission. All right. Well, there's our prop of the week, which is not anything we normally do on fights, dogs, and parlays, but a little bonus action for you. All right. Here's another fun fight. Joaquin Buckley, a minus 150 favorite. Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, a plus 130 dog. Tight odds here. Joaquin Buckley, of course, has one of the craziest highlight reel uh, KOs, kicks in UFC history. If you've never seen it, but I assume you have if you're listening to our show, because you're probably a pretty hardcore MMA nerd. But if you haven't, Google Joaquin Buckley, crazy KO. I'm sure it'll come up. It's amazing to watch. He's the favorite here, is Buckley, and he's coming off a win over Antonio Arroyo via KO, but lost via head kick KO before that. Um, in the UFC as a whole, uh, Buckley is 3-2. and two. And Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, very weird fight history, uh, had a bunch of years off between 2018 and 2020, didn't fight. Since coming back in 2020, he started with a three-fight losing streak, but is now uh, coming off a win over Alessio de Chichurso, uh via KO. So he's one and three since a two-year layoff and returning in 2020. A plus 130 here. Who you got? I'm going to go with Abdul Razak al-Hassan. Uh, I know it's sort of surprising because, you know, he, he didn't really look himself after coming back from that really long layoff. But then he, he sort of rebounded in that Alessio Tichirico fight. And don't get me wrong, Tichirico eh, hasn't looked great in his UFC run. 
But I think Abdul Razak Alassane ran into a little bit of bad luck with some of his opponents in that, that first stretch back, including, you know, like you mentioned, the loss to Chaos Williams. It, it's not, that's never a good looking loss, but Chaos Williams hit so freaking hard. I, I think Buckley isn't going to try to do any of the things uh, that, that get Abdul Razak Alassane in trouble. Like we, you know, we saw him get out grappled a little bit. I don't think that's going to happen here. I think it's a guy who's going to throw with him. And I actually like Alassane striking a little bit better than I like Buckley's. Buckley's is for sure more uh, flashy, but the, don't forget, this is a guy who got put on his ass by by Kevin Holland, who, granted, good boxer, but maybe not the most powerful boxer. He's going to be fighting a guy who's a powerful boxer in Abdul Razak Alassane. So, again, I'm going to take another bit of plus money here, two out of three on this uh, main card breakdown of ours, and go with Abdul Razak Alassane. I love talking about our underdog of the week this week because he's really like a career underdog. And it's amazing that he's still fighting and going for a record in most fights in the UFC. Uh, Jim Miller plus 155 is our dog of the week. Let's hear it. Yeah, first of all, I'm just blown away that Jim Miller is an underdog in this fight. And I I don't mean to give any... I don't mean to throw any shade at Nicholas Moda. uh, Because, you know, Nicholas Moda coming to the UFC kind of highly touted... What I said right there a second ago is exactly true. Coming to the UFC. This is his first time in the UFC. He's 29 years old. He's 12 and 3. He's made a, the, the best guy he's fought is like Joe Selecki. And granted, he knocked out Joe Selecki. So that's worth noting. But like the best guy he's fought is Joe Selecki. The dude was on the Ultimate Fighter Brazil and lost in the first round. Like it, I can't believe this guy is is a giant favorite over Jim Miller a guy with 39 fights and who has looked good as of late. It's not like Jim Miller is one of those old dudes who looks like he's fading away. You know, like he's aging like Andre Arlovsky. He's not aging like Chuck Liddell. Um, so I like, I mean, at this point in time, if you can get Jim Miller at plus 155 against the guy making his UFC debut, I think you're stupid not to. I love it. Uh, our parlay to play David Onama minus 145 favorite and Jessica Rose Clark a minus 190. Pair those two favorites together. It's going to get you plus 158 odds. Break it down. Yeah. So David Onama is a dude who uh, I'm very high on, and you'll hear me talk to him a little bit later on in the show. He throws hammers, dude. Um, this guy got to make his short notice debut, which he'll tell us all about in the interview a little bit later on. On 15 days removed from his last fight, and he got the call while he was on vacation up a weight class, and went toe-to-toe with Mason fucking Jones, who is no slouch, and he held his own for a 15-minute fight. In all of his fights before that, when he's back down at featherweight, he's knocking people out like crazy. He's going to fight Gabriel Benitez, who takes punches all the time. So I think he's going to land one of those and get the knockout, so I love the fact we're getting low odds on him. And actually, if you got him earlier, you could have even gotten him at plus odds. Jessica Rose Clark is another one I'm high on here, mostly just because I think Stephanie Egger is going to have a really hard time grappling her, and I think she's outmatched heavily on the feet, and I think that's why you see the numbers at negative 190, and while that's not particularly enticing for me on its own, pairing them together, I like the plus odds coming back. Boom. Well, we sure hope you enjoyed uh, listening to Fight Dogs and Parlays as much as we like talking about Fight Dogs and Parlays. Let us know on our Twitter if we did you right or did you dirty with these picks at Top Turtle on the May. Gumby, you already teased it, so why don't we, uh, I don't know, kick it over to it. Where are we going next in the show? 
We're going now to my interview, the aforementioned interview with David Onama, who is going to talk about his short notice debut, how it was a dream come true for him, and what he expects out of his upcoming fight with Gabriel Mowgli Benitez. But before we get to that interview, I do have to mention that this interview is brought to you by Maroon Social, M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. Whether you do kickboxing, judo, sambo, jiu-jitsu, or any other martial art, you can use Maroon Social to log your training sessions, tag your training partners, log competitions, weigh-ins, and oh so much more. Ditch that dirty jiu-jitsu journal and get yourself Maroon Social wherever it is you download apps. Maroon Social brings you this interview with David Onama. All right, and joining me now is David Onama, who fights Gabriel Benitez at UFC Vegas 48. That fight is, of course, on February 19th. So, David... But before we get started talking about that fight, too, I want to talk a little bit about your debut. Because obviously, it didn't go your way, but you, you're fighting that fight on short notice against a, a guy who's got a lot of credit behind him in, in Mason Jones. And and it was a back-and-forth fight. It was a really damn good one. How, how do you look back at that fight after all of that? Man, it was a, it was a dream come true, man. You know, what the craziest... Uh craziest, man, thing I've, I've been through, man, in life, man, you know... Uh, it was crazy, man. I could have, I still can't think about it. But man, that was my uh, my UFC debut. Um, was called, I was I, actually when I got the when I got the call. Uh, I was in Alabama with uh, with my friends, and you know, uh, and my head coach James Krause, uh called me. Was like, uh, hey, uh, no, he texted me, and I, it was like four o'clock in the morning. Four o'clock in the morning, he uh, he texted me. You know, he was like, hey, um, you might you know get a shot in the UFC. You know, um, let me know what you think. So I, you know, I get up, I read the text, and uh, and I come right back. I'm like, hey man, uh, I just saw your text. Is this real? You know, he's like, yeah man, this is real. You know, let's you know, let's get going, man. Like, and he, I I didn't even ask who it was. I was just like, man, let's go. Yeah, I I want to fight. Whoever it is, I want it. You know, you know. Uh, from there on, man, you know, we just literally walk everybody up from the house. It's like, hey, uh, you know, I got a UFC uh, UFC call. I gotta go fly to Vegas as soon as possible. You know, from there on, man, we got an Uber and uh, bought a plane ticket and went straight to the airport. And uh, from there, we just flew to Vegas and started doing medicals and, and all stuff like that. That that's crazy. So you were you were on vacation. Now it was only 15 days removed from your prior fight. So I assume this was like a vacation that you had planned for after your fight with FAC and and you won and, and it yeah. was like a, a celebration kind of situation. Exactly. You know what I mean? After the FAC fight, man, me and, you know, me and my friends was like, man, let's, let's go to Alabama, you know, let's, let's go hang out and have a good time in Alabama, man. And then, you know, while being out there not knowing I was going to get the call, you know, <laughs> and man, got the news at four o'clock in the morning, man. It was one of the craziest things I've, you know, experienced in life. And, and now, obviously, you know, you wanted to fight no matter what. It's, a, it's like you said, it's a dream come true. It's a chance to realize a dream that you've, you've wanted for a really long time. But how did you feel as far as being physically ready? Because you are, you know, only 15 days off of that fight. Like you said, you were just about ready to go on vacation. How, how did your body feel physically in both the, you know, week leading up and the fight itself? Man, honestly, I felt good. Like, I felt good during the fight, man. Even just on vacation, I, it's not like I was out there, you know, partying hard or anything. You know, I was just, just eating, man, just having a good time. You know, I was like, like I fought FAC, what, 50 days? I was still feeling good. Uh I felt good, man. You know, I was, you know, took the fight. I knew how my body was, and you know, my coach knew how, you know, how I, how I was feeling and everything. But other than that, man, I felt good. I wasn't injured or anything, so you know, I just took the fight, man. I was, I felt like that was an opportunity given to me, you know. Any anybody else can get that, you know. So 
that's why I took the fight, man. I felt like it was a good opportunity for me. So, Absolutely. Now, I know your last couple of fights and that fight, obviously, being on short notice, had all happened at lightweight. And, and if I'm not mistaken, this one here with Benitez is back down to featherweight where you fought a little bit earlier in your career. What was sort of the thinking behind going back to your old weight class? Uh yeah, so uh with the Mason Jones fight, that was just an uh that was just a, what's it called? Uh an opportunity, man, for me. It was a four day notice, upper weight class, you know. But it it was it was it was not my original weight class, but we took it just for an opportunity. And it it was a great fight for me after I looked him up and watched this film, you know. And then uh with Benitez, you know, that's this is my actual weight weight class, you know, and that's why I feel so like so good about this fight, man, is it's a perfect fit for me. Uh, we both, you know, you know, we're both strikers, man. Uh, at 45, I just feel like I'm, I'm better at, at at this weight division, you know. 145 is where I'm actually show at. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a good fight. Absolutely. Now, I, I was going to ask you about that matchup with Benitez too. Uh, obviously, you just said you like the stylistic matchup, but. It's another guy who's a veteran of the sport. They're giving you fresh off of fighting a tough guy in Mason Jones, a guy who's been in the UFC for eight years. He was on the Ultimate Fighter a long time. What did it sort of feel like when the UFC called you back for a second fight and already wants you against veterans like that? Oh man, because they 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 know what I can do, man. Like they know they know what I did against Mason Jones, and they know I can do it again. And I train with the best guys in the world at Glory Every Man Fitness in Lee Summit, Missouri. Uh, pretty much like everybody I train with, man, is you know it's high level, man. Everybody's professional. Everybody's good in the UFC. Uh, I train with like pretty much everybody, man. Like Grant Dawson in the UFC, uh, Kevin Kroom, Mike Breeden, uh, you know everybody, man. You know like I train with killers, man, and everybody that I train with got me prepared for this uh, for this fight. I know you know uh, he's a veteran. But you know, I, I I feel like I can compete at this high level, and like I know I belong in the UFC, man. I'm gonna, and I want to show them February 19th, you know, that I really belong here. So, when well, I'm glad you brought up Glory because I'd like to ask. Uh, it seems like every single time I turn around, I'm interviewing a different fighter from Glory who who trains under James Krause. I'm asking them all about James Krause, and it, you know, we just saw a couple more signed the other day on, uh, you know, looking for a, Dana White's looking for a fight, and it seems like yeah. more Glory guys all the time. What particularly works for you with James Krause? Because I've heard it different from every single person. That seems like James Krause works for them in a different way. What what makes you click with working with him? Oh man, from the from the beginning of my career, man. You know, James Krause saw a touch on me, man, and you know, signed me up to Glory, man. And you know, from there, man, he just he saw a touch on me from, since uh, since day one, man. That's why you know. I am where I am here today because of him. You know, without him, I won't be where I am. Uh, I am today. So, uh, you know, I want to thank him. You know, for everything he's done for me and uh, and my team. And you know, everything done for me, man. So, you know, I look up to him a lot, man. And you know, he believes in me. You know, to you know to the day. You know, from my amateur career to my pro pro career, not to the UFC. You know, him still being on my side and you know, cornerman and you know, what I mean, just everything, man. So. You know, it's good to have him on, on, the, on, my, uh, on my side. So, I love hearing that. Now, you mentioned your AMI career, which is you have one of the more extensive amateur careers for people who look at your record and only see 7-0. and 0, You know, they're obviously not seeing the, you know, double-digit amateur fights you have where you're putting people away pretty often in the first round and all of those. 
you know, you you started fighting when you were barely 20 years old. What what brought you to fighting that long? And, and you like you said, you you've been with James Krause for that long. Yeah, been with James Krause for that long, man. It was just, man. I'm you know I've always you know growing up, man. I was always like I love combat sports, man. You know I love competing, man. You know this is. This is what really uh, brought me to this MMA game, you know. I always wanted to do when I was a kid, you know, growing up. You know, man, just, just watching UFC, man, like, as a kid, man. Always told myself, you know, when I, like, the older I get, man, this is this is what I want to do, man. You know, as a kid, I was just thinking, man, you know, this is, this is what I want. And like, and now I feel like, you know, it's a dream come true, man. You know, it really, really happened, man, from my amateur career to my pro, pro career. Now I'm in the UFC, you know. And you know him still being on my side, like I said earlier, man, it's it's crazy, man. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's it's a very crazy uh, experience, man. Like, why? Wow. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and and you mentioned now, so I, I want to take it back there a little bit. You said in there that you know when you were a little kid, you'd watch the UFC and you were into to MMA and and combat sports and all of that. Were, were you training back then? And if whether you were training or not, how, how did your parents feel about you being a, a little kid who was who was into watching people get punched in the face? Man, I, I, they knew because I was told them like, man, like when I get older, I want to do MMA, and like you know, me, and my dad, uh, my mom, friends, family will always just watch UFC, like you know, uh, John Jones, like Rampage Jackson, and them all like fighting and coming up and stuff like that. You know, like, John Jones and Rapper Jackson are the ones that really got me inspired into doing this MMA, you know? Because they were so big back then, you know? And, like, me being, like, me, like me being that young and watching that kind of thing, man, you know, it, it was, like, really what I wanted to do. It was no other sports that I watched but fighting, you know? So, yeah, man, this is <laughs> crazy. So so you always loved it. And, and what made you make the jump from, you know, obviously just being a fan watching Rampage and, and John Jones with your parents and your family and all that stuff in actually, you know, when did you step into the cage? What what made you, you know, step into a gym and, and get ready and, and start training to fight? Man, the thing that got me ready, man, is, man, like, like I said, man, I just want to try MMA, man. Like, at first, I just want to do it for training. I didn't really, like, wanted to fight because, you know, I didn't know how tough it was going to be. And then I started training for like a like a whole year, and you know I started getting good, started liking it more. And then from there, man, got my first uh, first was amateur fight. I won that one. Started training again for another six months. Won my second fight from there, man. I just like, man, this is probably you think you know this is really I think it fits with me. You know, like I think this is really what I want to do. You know, and then from there, man, I took like my tra- uh, training serious. Uh, took my fight serious like it was like a pro fight for me everything like all my fights i took them all serious you know even, even till now i mean like i take like all my what's called fight serious even like with my training like everything i just take it serious you know so yeah absolutely now before i let any of my fighters go i always like to ask them for a prediction so you're fighting gabriel benitez on january 19 or uh february 19th rather give me a prediction how do you see this one ending Man, I'm just going to, man, come out, man, and just, you know, do what I do best, man. Go in there, have fun, man, and, you know, you know, hopefully get my hand raised again, <laughs> you know. So we'll see, man. I'm just trying to get back to the winning uh, winning board again, man, and, you know, that's my main goal right now, man, is just get back to winning and, and see how the year ends, you know. This, this is what I want to do. I'm just going to get back to the winning uh, record, so. Wow, we're we'll looking – 
We're looking forward to it. Once again, fans, this has been David Onama who fights Gabriel Benitez on February 19th. David, thank you so much for the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me. And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turn MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We could not do what we do without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Maroon Social, Better Than Vegas, and, of course, Double Nickels Sports Betting. Check them out at 55DoubleNickels55 on Instagram. Also, while you're checking out Instagrams and Twitters, check out mine at Top Turtle MMA in both of those locations. We'll be giving you guys extra content there all the time. And until next week, I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland. He is Shockwave Dave Tremonte. We'll catch you then.